Hi, everyone. Um, welcome to the Making Sense of Podcast. We're on podcast number 25, um, and we are continuing our little mini-series on addiction. We had quite a kind of uh, broad introduction to it in the last podcast. We wanted to, I mean, it's such a massive topic, so we wanted to just uh, see if we could just um, spend a bit more time exploring and taking it apart um, before we move on, to, move on to a few other topics. Um, but before I say anything about that, I will just say that the whole team is here. Do you all want to say your names and hi and what you had for breakfast? And <laughs> you don't have to do the last bit. You could be fun. Hi, my name's Bex and I'm from Wandsworth. No, that's what you say in quiz shows, isn't it? No, shut up. Hi, Dave. <laughs> yeah. Hey, oh, hi, I'm Heather. I had porridge for breakfast. <laughs> Hi, it's Tonya. I didn't eat breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, it's Antonia. I had grapes for breakfast. Just grapes? Yeah, grapes. Hi, it's Magano, and I had porridge for breakfast as well. Well, double porridge on like the hottest day of the year. Um, (laughs) I'm Bob. I had blueberries. (laughs) Blueberries. And a little bit of other stuff, but it just sounds really pretentious if I tell you. Um, so I'll save that for another podcast. Uh, okay, so we started off the last podcast with a statement and we thought it would be quite good to do a similar thing today. And this is also coming on the back of, um, we're all kind of part of the Gabor Mate fan club. And he has just released a new film um, called The Wisdom of Trauma, which is you know amazing actually. And he, it really encapsulates... He's, I was being quite nosy. I wanted to know when he was born and he's, he's 77. And I feel like he's someone who's just got such wisdom and such experience. And this film distills all of that into like, I don't know, what is it? 90 minutes or two hours or something. Um, So definitely worth a watch. And um, one of the things that he is doing in his work is trying to really, I mean, he's doing so much, but he's really trying to kind of shift the narrative of, how addiction is understood, which is a very similar thing to what we are doing. And actually one of the ways that he's quite similar to us, or we're similar to him. And, um, you know, we're, we're kind of really happy that he's doing what he's doing. And we're really happy to, in our small way, contribute to the conversation that he's leading on. Um, and that is trying to really connect people's individual experiences to their environment. I mean, that's one of the really big things that he does. Um, and he's looking a lot at social inequality and he's looking a lot at, um, yeah, the impact of not just the environment, actually, but also the impact of like your home, you know, your upbringing, your childhood, you know, your parents' childhoods, you know, this kind of idea of intergenerational trauma. Anyway, doing lots of stuff. We're going to start with a question that he says. And one of the things that he does a lot is he reframes um, what the kind of general question is and in a way is kind of implying that the questions that are currently being asked at the time are not great and he kind of suggests a better option or a better alternative and so the same we're going to be kind of pulling apart today is one of those and that question is or that statement is it's not what's wrong with you the question is not what's wrong with you the question is what happened to you well I was actually thinking about that statement um not long ago and I kind of um I really like it because it takes it takes the personal like blame of it of of addiction 
away from from you and the thought that I am the failure or I'm I keep messing up you know and why not understanding why and I think that little statement just kind of yeah that what that word wrong is like what is wrong with you it, it just takes a little bit of power out of it and enough to kind of look in a di- look in a different direction at, at stuff because this society just likes to box people off boxing off into addiction addicts stuff like that so for me that statement is um takes a lot of personal blame away and allows you to kind of open up a different thought process it's kind of so it's kind of taking the label like the negative label off yeah don't, yeah it's, it's another look on it doesn't it another it's another it's just another look on it of looking at addiction of why am i doing this to actually what is going on around as well mm. i was definitely i was saying that i definitely agree with you tonya that it removes the stigma because people aren't kind of put in a box instead they're kind of turning on their narrative that they're human and that they have a story behind them and that's how they've come into the situation that lots of environmental factors have had an input on how they are and i think that's really important to remember mm-hmm. that actually so many environmental factors happen and that makes us who we are and it's not just you're put into that box and stigmatize and you're wrong it's not that so it definitely removes stigma mm-hmm. i think wrong is um it's such like an absolute word it can either be right or it can be wrong i think if you're thinking of a different word um when you say what happened it gives you more room to like explore a lot of things instead of just being wrong you get to look at like everything and once you start looking at everything it opens up a lot more I don't know ideas or theories about why you are the way you are it takes out the shame and it makes you kind of see things from like a bigger perspective he he has this thing that he's developed um which is he's kind of and and, you know and again it's interesting because it's kind of not dissimilar to us like we've developed you know this approach of and this way of working with people which we've imaginatively called the foundation for change approach uh, does what it says um but you know it's not something that we ever set out to do from the beginning it's just something that i think like myself and liz just kind of worked with people really naturally and i think similar thing with him um through you know his kind of many many decades of doing this work and then i think fairly recently he was asked to essentially kind of package his approach to try to train other people and so he's done that and, and one of the things that he talks about in terms of putting a kind of a you know a word or a, a kind of a term to this is compassionate inquiry and i kind of really like that so what you're saying antonio just this idea of like what's wrong with you is just really kind of pejorative isn't it it's just very there's such a negative focus and actually if you ask that you will look for the negative things you'll probably look for all the reasons why you're a fuck up basically and i think i love this idea of compassionate inquiry and just you know looking at your past in this very compassionate way so not in a judgmental beat yourself up kind of way but a very compassionate way so i really love that that idea of um that term compassionate inquiry yeah and like it's true it's important uh words because you know in psychology there's a lot of use of like negative and positive um emotions so it's kind of like saying that you know depression negative um happiness positive um and it's really not that black and white and i think that's the same for looking at histories and uh looking at the past as like 
it's just so reductive putting things into boxes um and you know oh, i think it's in- incredibly important as you say this educational element as well which is understanding that um you know these things happened these emotions are there for a reason um they're they're not negative they're it's just putting the piece pieces and the jigsaw puzzle together mm, totally well, I was just, yeah, the whole thing about being being wrong. I mean, we did it, you know, you're not, no one's born wrong. No one's born bad. You know, you are a product of your environment. And, and that, and this statement very much mirrors that, doesn't it? That, that you know, it's not um, what's wrong with you. It's, it, yeah, it's, it's what happens to you. So you're just sort of changing the onus onto, um, a positive uh, inquiry as opposed to uh, a kind of ju- judgment, a sort mm. of dead end judgment. I find it quite fascinating how moralistic, I mean, addiction is viewed in this very kind of moralistic way. I'm sure, like, I mean, actually, loads of things are, but you know, I feel like there's this real sense of, I think I talked about last time, this documentary, uh, Crazy Not Insane, where this woman was basically kind of trying to fight this idea that people are born evil. There's so much like good and bad, like evil and pure. And I don't know enough about like Christianity and Catholicism and like original sin and stuff like that. But I some, sometimes feel like it feels like it's got really deep roots. It's been around a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The roots have grown pretty, pretty deep. I was going to say, maybe it's like a heuristic, like a mental shortcut. So like you have good and bad so that people don't have to think about the greyness. Because I think the world is so grey, in my opinion. Like things aren't as clear cut. But we say like Christianity, for example, talks about heaven and hell and has these simple good and bad things. Just so it makes it easier for us to think about. So we don't have to think about the greyness too much and we don't get too confused, I think. So I think that's the reason why it's like that. And like when you think about these complex topics, are you realize how nuanced it is and how gray it is? And it's quite hard to divide it between good and evil. I also think, yeah, it keeps people in control as well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, not kind of going down the Catholicism and religious route, but you know, if you have good, bad, heaven, hell, um, you know, you you want to do the good things, um, whether you kind of do them or not, just to be seen kind of like on the outside. I think it's a little bit about control, isn't it? And keeping the populace, um, yeah, in, in line and everything like that. And even breaking it down, you know, the issues of addiction and, and what's wrong and what's right. There's a lot more, uh, you know, drugs that are that even in within the sort of taking drugs or within drug communities, morals about what good drugs are good or what drugs are bad so what's more socially acceptable and, and what's frowned upon you know and then there's a whole history you know of, of of our society and how we kind of look look at drugs and, and how you know before like the 1870s or something there wasn't even any kind of like legislation to to to, to stop to stop um us taking whatever we wanted so, so if it's been legislated for quite a long time, that it's going to kind of be instilled in us that, that it's regulated, it's a bad thing. Mm. Um, and if you can't control it, there's something wrong with you because most people can control what, what they take or, or how, you know, how much they, uh, yeah, they can stop at, at, at any time. I think the concept of um, 
good and bad is changing as well in terms of drugs because um like drugs like mdma are now used for some in, in certain circumstances as like a type of therapy and um there's other drugs as well ketamine they're trying to trial with people that have alcohol dependency so like whereas ketamine before was seen as quite like a well you can't see me but i'm quoting like a, a, a dirty drug because i guess it was used as a horse tranquilizer but i guess the view of like these illegal substances is kind of slowly changing and it's seen to be a company therapy well this is the kind of gray thing you were talking about earlier it's a bit like yeah like we um we we kind of our response to a complex world is to simplify and i feel like actually it's really important to uh i don't know maybe take the be comfortable with complexity and kind of take the time to kind of look at things from multiple perspectives because you know i think things are really fuzzy i think that as well with 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 this sort of different kinds of drugs things we're seeing now because you know cannabis is being kind of legalized in certain places because you know there's so much um proof of it being really good for certain medical issues you know so so that trying to change the narrative that we've been completely pumped with for so long that it's bad you know this is bad and actually like give it opening up that window of right well actually you know there are some good things that, that can come from these mm. um, substances. It's just how you choose to use them. Mm. Or, you know, mm. or not if you don't have a choice. And also maybe opening up space for conversations to look at, we talked about this in the last podcast, I think, like looking at the motivations behind the behaviors, mm. you know? So this whole thing of like, well, what happened to you? And and again, we touched on this last time, but I'll say it again, just in case people didn't listen to that last podcast, but one of the first values that we kind of have as a charity is this idea that, you know, we see substance misuse as a rational response to trauma. You know, it's pain. It's like, it's a, it's a, it's a mechanism to help cope with emotional pain. Like who would not want to get away from the pain? It's normal, isn't it? As a human being, we want to avoid suffering. You yeah. know, it's, and we'll do that for any, you know, any possible way. It's our way of surviving yeah it's built into it seems like such a radical thing to say that like it's a rational response to anything taking like you know drinking too much or taking drugs but it is i think to explain that to someone that's never had an addiction or has never used drugs or alcohol that it's completely rational like i think that needs to be such like more wider known that because people just think that you like going out too much or you're a loser or you're lazy or you know, you, you don't want to work or something like that. I've heard, like, I've heard it all from people who have these opinions of addicts as just like, I don't know, like criminals also, almost. Just because drugs are illegal, they're just like, well, they're just criminals. I think that thing that it's rational response, it's survival, is should be more well-known and talked about. Do you think things are changing? Because I was just thinking, like, I was out on Saturday at a friend's birthday party in the park, and I met someone new and was talking about work and stuff and you know she was just like oh yeah my great auntie had some kind of problem with you know alcohol and 
wasn't seen as a problem. We had this whole kind of conversation actually, and she was basically saying that, you know, her, her great auntie was an alcoholic and kind of died of alcohol-related complications. And I just, because it's been such a long time since I've socialized and met new people, it just really reminded me of like this thing that I really remember from before that when I would tell people about what I do, so pretty much 9.5 times out of 10, people would be like, oh yeah, my sister was, you know, an addict or my dad was an alcoholic or whatever, you know, it's just, it's so close to everyone and I also feel like I don't know I mean obviously this is kind of like a very limited pool of people but just yeah I feel like there's this kind of understanding that addiction is way more widespread than just like how it used to be portrayed I think as like the junkie injecting on a street. I do think it it definitely is changing slowly I suppose a lot to do with that is um, you know, people's awareness around mental health issues. And, you know, I think nowadays, whether it's to do with the internet, social media, and people being more connected online, there are more conversations happening and, and a bit more understanding of mental health issues and, 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 and how, you know, mental health issues arise. It's not just like a biological thing necessarily. There's lots of different, um, yeah, reasons for it, like psychological reasons, um, you know, things that have happened in people's past, things that are happened currently, all of this goes to affecting um, uh, people's people's mental health and mental health and uh, addiction is, is so intertwined. Well, I was going to say I agree with you, Bex, as well. I think that there is um, a little bit more awareness around mental health, especially um, during COVID and addiction as well. I think there's kind of, it's been more highlighted and more talked about. And then if you talk about mental health and trauma and you look beyond that, a lot of times there's addiction in there. You know, many, many a times there is. So I just think it's that awareness and more acceptance maybe of people having having a mental health illness and understanding the trauma and where the addiction comes from. I find there's a little bit more acceptance out there maybe mm -hmm. i think the fact that the conversations out there it, it is you know it's more mainstream isn't it it's not such a niche subject anymore you know it's out there it's talked about a lot it's in the news it's in media you know celebrities you know it's it's kind of out there and it's a normal topic of conversation now which is progress in itself yeah, and I think it's, it's being kind of um, thrown at younger people as well to make them more aware because there's a lot of footballers that are kind of like doing all those people that like um, younger people look up to and they're making them more aware as well. And they're kind of going into the schools. So that's kind of making it all more aware of mental health and just more accepting of it because, you know, what you said before, Bob, about junkies on the street same of mental health people would think you're mm -hmm. mad or like you know you, you actually what it is is like what has happened and not is wrong with you but that might have been the thought process years ago without the understanding of what mental health is and an addiction then you're, you're just mad you're bad mm -hmm. and this whole kind of bad thing I think like really spills over into like <sighs> you know the, I think that the judgment is put on the person but the judgment is also put on the drugs like you were saying Heather as well like you know that's also reinforced by the fact that there's law around drugs and certain drugs are illegal and if something's illegal therefore it's bad 
so this idea of like um yeah like the drugs are the evil thing and then when you put the drugs down you know you're kind of fixed or you're cured you know you've done the good thing because you've stopped taking the bad thing and actually like that conversation we were having the other day like to me i see and we started talking about it earlier like the drugs and the alcohol this rational response to trauma thing it's like a crutch it's like it's this kind of thing that actually gives people like some way to actually live their lives even if it's it's paradoxical because even if that is very dysfunctional in lots of ways it's still helping them to kind of get through their day-to-day existence and you take this crutch away from them I think one problem is with a lot of treatment is that there's such a focus on just stopping drugs and alcohol so it's like just kind of like taking away someone's crutch and not teaching them how to walk or you know not kind of like giving them an alternative and I just think like that's such a um so I mean it's one reason that I think that a lot of people relapse one reason is that you know the root causes don't go addressed uh, the sorry the root causes are unaddressed so that line of questioning around what happened to you doesn't you know often happen but yeah like you remove something from someone but you don't teach them or help them learn a kind of a different way of living their life yeah and it's like um you know around lapse and relapse so you know they they happen they you know it, it, it happens and i think also you know the feeling of you know when you've gone to rehab or you've done treatment and then you have a lapse or, or a relapse um you could just beat yourself up have so much guilt because you're like i've done this you know you, all the questions which go through your head or all the things you chastise yourself with like oh you know so many people tried to help me and I've let them down I've let myself down I let my family down and it's like okay well you know it, even, even then what kind of were you looking at like what were you examining kind of like through your recovery journey so you know what what were you accessing in treatment programs which helped you understand exactly what was going on underneath that um so what that's the question that you started with, which is what has happened, um, not what is wrong. And so the what is wrong is like, you know, people using drugs. But the what has happened is, you know, life, life circumstances, the, the society, all of those things meshed in together. Um, and so I think, you know, in most cases, without being able to pull those apart, it's you're still going to self-medicate it's still kind of that self-soothing thing of drugs and alcohol um and so i think that's it is like understanding that personal kind of all that guilt shame embarrassment of either lapsing or relapsing after you've gone through the recovery journey um that just needs to be er eradicated um you know and, and there needs to be understanding that the, you know a, a lapse is about something a relapse is about something it's not just because you want to use again you know i it's just definitely not that straightforward so i just feel like you know going back to that question what's wrong with people and what's happened with people um you know is is it's such a short succinct question but it says so much there's a lot of shame about relapsing when you come out of rehab because it's like like it's such a you know if you've been funded or someone's paid for you to go to rehab you feel like you've wasted their money you've wasted everyone's time you should know better um but what's happened is rehab can be a really safe bubble away from life. And it's what you need to begin with. It's kind of nice to rest, not think about anything else other than like yourself and, you know, give your body a rest. 
But then when you return to the world, it's the same world. And if you haven't looked back on everything that's happened to you, you're still greeted with the exact same stuff that made you need something, you know, before you went in, except you don't have that thing anymore. And then to relapse, of course you're going to relapse. If you haven't done a lot of kind of searching back into what happened to you, then it's like your survival kit, which was your drugs, your alcohol. You don't have that survival kit anymore. You're empty and, you know, you're camping without a tent or something. Mm. <laughs> Good metaphor. I just came up with that. <laughs> <laughs> As well, there's, there's, you know, the more, the more that you use substances or, or certain things, the more that you do certain things to cope with uh, tra- what you're trying to block out, the more... Uh, enable you are to actually deal with that stuff so like changing your neural pathways or or something like that so so that you're constantly blocking out those emotions and feelings so that when you do feel them you don't know how to bloody deal with them they're they're just like too much so there's these you know times in 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 your life when when you know you might want to to stop because it's too painful to keep using but you might not be ready. I mean, I say ready when you're ever ready. You know, to, to acknowledge or, or to to be able to um, put yourself through, through that, have the resilience to, to uh, maintain recovery, and 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 use um, relapsing as another stick to beat yourself up because we spent our whole lives beating ourselves up about how bad we are and how shit we are because we can't deal with life. Um, and there must be something wrong with us because no one else, you know, not most people, most people can deal with life in our own, you know, moralistic judgments about poor me and all that. <laughs> uh, but I guess it's just being able to kind of see see that yourself. So, yeah, I mean, I, uh, yeah, there is, there is great shame around, you know, relapsing. As Antonia said, it's, uh, you're, you're putting your own kind of like judgments on what you should be doing. And what other people think of think of you, and, and you know, and letting yourself down, and even to the fact of even when you're not kind of ready to, to, to sort of give up, you, you're kind of so fed up that that day that it's like in your head you're never going to do it again, and, you know. And then that next morning, you're literally on the phone, and, and and it's like you know you're letting yourself down. When I started getting into kind of like recovery, as in going to going to a service. And, and, and admitting that I, you know, I possibly might need help. Uh, uh, the the uh, it wasn't clear cut. You know, it wasn't just like okay, I'm there. I found these people. I, I, I'm gonna um, use all these services and, and use all this. And it's you know, it it, it wasn't like a, a line for me. I, I relapsed so many times, uh, and each time. It was that that shame again that was just you know that you carry through through life w- w- when you're kind of using drugs, um, uh, and kind of beating myself about it, and realizing that that's just this cycle that I'm car- going to carry on, keep doing that, you know. But kind of going back to um, my uh, the way that I kind of got clean, and using using the the the, um, the services that I used. And kind of going back and being honest, and I think for me the strength I had is in my honesty to not kind of lie to the people that that were important because um, 
if I started lying to the people that were my actual, you know, secure security of, you know, and then I felt like I didn't have enough anything, you know. So it was like, even if I was going to, to the drug services or going to kind of fellowship, or whatever, could be absolutely honest where, where I was so that I wasn't kind of, you know, lying, lying to myself uh, and, and realizing that actually I wasn't shamed. You know, the shame was with me. Other people were really, really, really supportive about the fact that, that I had come back and showed me how strong I was, you know, uh, because I did c come back. You know, and I did keep coming back until, you know, until I got, I guess, enough um, sanity from from not, you know, using drugs to, to have a bit of a, of a clearer headspace to be able to deal with my issues um, in a more, you know, healthy and constructive way. <laughs> what, what do you guess? I think that's a really interesting point, a really great point about, like, the honesty. And I'm curious to know, like, what, do you think helped you to, con to continue to be honest? Because shame is quite often the thing that gets in the way of that, particularly when it's like repeated, you know, failures and in inverted, big inverted commas. I think it's really difficult because, you know, you spend, me personally, as an addict, I spend a lot of my life, I did spend a lot of my life lying to myself uh, because I would justify the reasons why I was doing what I was doing uh, and absolutely lying, lying to myself you know, about, uh, about why I was doing it. So I, I felt that, that to actually make this huge, huge move to actually to talk to services about it, you know, risk having my children taken off me and, uh, and being absolutely open and honest about people who were outside my community, you know, which we don't talk to people about anything, you know, uh, it's very secret. So, so it was like I needed to carry on doing that it felt like it was that um felt like that was the crutch that that you know to be honest and 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 talk to other people so I could hear myself so it wasn't just my own thoughts rattling around in my head you know because I know that that my brain was you know lies to me mm. uh, a trainee said to me something that's kind of relevant now to this to what you said Heather she said to me that shame grows in the darkness but dies in the light and I just think that's such like a relevant kind of quote that like you know if you have shame kind of just grows when you have secrets and and honesty is so important for like shame to be removed that's yeah. a brilliant quote yeah beautiful I think my experience with my relapses was like the opposite of Heather's because I was totally shamed by mine so when I left rehab I think I lasted like three months and I can't even tell you why I did it. I just went out and bought vodka one night because I wanted to. And I was so embarrassed and shamed. I think I lasted like a night in my move on house. And I hide just the stress of hiding all the bottles again. And I left Bristol where I was living. And still to this day, I have a certain amount of shame that I will not go back to Bristol because now it's like this city of shame for me. But yeah, I went out, I moved away to like Blackpool to escape it. And then I kind of had a few stints of getting sober and then relapse again, getting sober, relapse again. Each time I relapsed, the shame, and I still feel it sometimes, even though I know I shouldn't, because it was so strong at the time, it's kind of like stayed in me, but of like being a failure and letting everyone down. And it was almost like the people I went to rehab with 
and this was all made up in my mind, were kind of sneering and laughing at me like, oh, of course she's going to relapse. So I was putting myself in like competition with other sober people I'd met and judging them, judging myself on their behalf, thinking, you know, that I was this failure and they were all laughing at me. And yeah, to this day, whenever I think of Bristol, I have to go through Bristol on the train. I'm like, oh. <laughs> that feeling it's and it keeps people like kind of using for a long time I think I would have if I'd been able to remove that shame or had people I could be honest with maybe I would have you know done a lot better but I hid it I internalized it all and yeah I sat in the darkness of that shame for a long time but you know, all it's it's really interesting that it's fascinating listening to both of you actually because it's not a clear cut journey, and that's the thing is it's um, you've it's that long battle, and this is the thing it's no quick fix as well because I used to lie to my psychologist. I used to tell him bullshit because I just didn't, oh, you're not digging around in my head, mate. Um, and so, you know, when I fell, fell out the uh, scale at the end of the, the therapy, I'd just put like, you know, just to give him good marks. It was all five. Yeah, I'm brilliant. Uh, I left and, you know, had another relapse. Um, and so it felt like my relapse journey is, yeah, kind of, you get there in the end, but relapse, relapse, lapse, or no, yeah, relapse. And then you're back in, back out of services, but then slowly but surely, you know, it is that kind of moment of light that you were talking about, Magano, where, you know, you can start to kind of, um, I don't know, it, it brings it to the surface. It's no longer that deep, dark, kind of like cavernous thing where you just push it aside. And I think it's so important to acknowledge, acknowledge that it is just a journey and it takes time. And there's kind of, there's, yeah, you take steps, what you think are backwards, but actually they're just steps forward to get to that place. And but it's all part of the process, isn't it? I mean, I think people can put so much pressure on themselves for it to be quick or for it to be like successful first time. And I was thinking, Antonio, that thing you were talking about, like, you know, comparing yourself with this kind of competition in recovery, like, but it makes total sense because, you know, if, if you've got a bunch of people that are really, really, really disempowered, they will, you know, it's really normal, I think, to kind of clamber for power in any way you can. And a lot of that comes from a kind of hierarchical thing of trying to like, you know, pitch yourself above others and kind of put other people down. And, you know, there's so much of this stuff, like you were saying, just kind of gets in the way of, of yeah, how we see ourselves or what we do with, I keep, you know, doing air quotes, but, you know, failing, but like, you know, you're all saying it's, the, it's just a process. Yeah. There's not a for, there's not a kind of formula. And that process, you know, that, as we were saying at the beginning, that process doesn't bring us to, to uh, you know, success. It just brings us to the start of actually looking at the reasons why we chose those ways to deal with our shit in the first place. Uh, you know, so that's a whole other, a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah. I'm a bit stuck on Bex's point about lying to psychologists. Like I watch quite a lot of like police interrogation videos on YouTube. <laughs> 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 fascinating um and uh you know one of the things that i just love is like how people quite often have to like keep corroborating their stories and like fail did you have to like i don't know did you have this whole sorry i know this is like not on topic but did you have to like have this whole like act of lies that you had to maintain 
Yeah, and because I sort of completely believed it almost in my own head, but there were things that I did put in place that, you know, were my story. And I just corroborated that story with myself. And so I knew what I had to say and what not to say to get in with corroborating that story. Wow. So yeah, it, it was, but it was also the matter I didn't want to let anybody in. I didn't want anybody playing with my head. And the reason why is because I didn't want to talk about stuff that was it was quintessentially shame. I can relate to that. I used to lie to all of my people that I spoke to. And, and now thinking about what Heather said as well, is that voice, you know, the trust in yourself and the honesty with yourself. I think, you know, it's that other voice in my head. Well, it was who, uh, the picture of who I thought I should be, who society thought I should be. I'm a mother, you know, I was really embarrassed and my kids come first, but obviously they didn't. And that, that the shame in that was just not worth bringing out onto the table. So it was, my story was like, yeah, I'm a great mum, look after the kids, they come first, I do what I do, they don't really know, got it all under control, but made myself out to be quite a strong character, quite independent and not... If, if my story now would look like, oh, you sounded okay, this kind of thing, but it is the story we tell ourselves. And I think hearing what, what Heather said, it, that was part, a very big problem of mine was not being honest with myself because being honest with myself was probably the hardest, the hardest part. And then saying it to someone like what Heather said is so, I don't know, so your voice can shake. You know, you can, you have all different... Even talking about it now, I kind of feel, I don't know if it's because of the heat though, but I'm quite hot, sweaty palms, you know, but it's kind of going back into that kind of, yeah, I remember that place and that horrible walking into somewhere and people looking at me like I'm an addict and I'm a failure. So I've got to show them that I'm not. And mm. I actually, you know, got this under control. You can give me some advice if you want, but I know what I'm doing. Mm. I totally didn't, you know. But yeah, it's been interesting listening to this. Fucking uh, hell, yeah. The honesty, I think, to yourself is so hard. But is it, maybe this is the thing. Yeah. This is the, sorry, for the sake of others, I forget because of the heat. Blaming <laughs> 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 the heat for our fuzzy brains. Um, but I think there's just something around like it can be so easy to just get stuck in this like self judgment and. Mm -hmm. Actually, what we're saying is like, you know, when you kind of, what's the word, like operate in this level, which is maybe kind of beyond that or kind of like, you know, beyond judgment. And you're just looking at things as they are rather than trying to kind of put positive and negative labels on things. I think there's just something about like even that, like even those things you're all talking about, like particularly back to Antonia, um, Antonia um, around like defending people from you know, getting in or kind of having access to what's going on in your head or like putting things on the table, like all of those behaviors, there's reasons behind those. Do you know what I mean? And those behaviors are there for a reason. And that's that whole kind of, again, going back to how we started this thing of like, well, what happened to you? You know, these, there's, there's roots to that. There's roots to um, why we're, yeah, why you were kind of wanting to just keep a lot of that away. And, and, you know, actually, you know, we've already said it, but a lot of that was shame. Like we're all trying to keep up appearances. Remember that program, Keeping Up Appearances with Hyacinth? <laughs> she's like really posh and she's just like, no, this is how I am. It's bouquet. Who's <laughs> <laughs> Hyacinth Bucket? But she's like, 
Love that. But it's a defense, isn't it? You're like, you know, stay away. I'm fine. I'm completely fine. I've got this. I suppose sometimes as well, it can be if you're so, you know, you're used to like, you've booked yourself off so much and you've kind of been like that. It's, it's a shame to ask for help as well and kind of to go in and present yourself and say, this is what is happening, you know. And I suppose, again, that comes back to your own internal judgment on yourself and who you should be. But that then again comes from society. So it's all, you know, domino effect of everything. Totally. Before we actually get to the core of ourselves, there's so much else around, you know. I mean, I'd like to remember the quote in that book, Cast, about a house. It's like moving into a, an old house that, you know, you're going into the basement and looking at the beams of what is holding up the house, you know. It makes sense to me because it's kind of, I'm just reading that book and it's like, you know, it's... um. So the addiction model being a really old house that was built many, many years ago and kind of the beams all like that, like going bent and stuff like that, but still kind of living into that house. And then the new people that come in kind of stripping the wallpapers and taking it apart and seeing where it is actually gone wrong, where people haven't wanted to. It's kind of putting plasters over things instead. Does that make sense? Well, I was just trying to compute it because I know it's like she talks about like... Um... I was trying to kind of like do the comparison because it's about race and it's about yeah. how deep the structures are in society that, you know, like we don't see the kind of the beams and the thing, yeah. you know, we, we see all the kind of surface stuff. How, you know, again, we are a product of a society. We are not separate from that society. So we are going to have the same judgments that everyone else has, but we're just, you know, onto ourselves of how we act and our decisions and, and all that, you know, we are just part of it. Yeah. So it seems like that's a good place to start tying things up. Um, I guess because, yeah, I mean, I said this at the start, like addiction is such a massive topic and, um, you know, we've covered various different things. Um, so maybe a good way to end would be for us all to kind of end with what we're taking away from this discussion today. Um, for me, I wish I knew this, like, you know, six years ago, but it's a process. Recovery is a process. Like, you know, all of that feelings of self-hatred, shame, the whole kit and caboodle is the fact that you, you're just not going to, you know, sort that out in a matter of seconds. It might take you a few tries going back, going forth, looking under the hood. So I just think, you know, it's not so cut and dry. I feel like that, you know, actually sorting through this stuff takes time and that's okay i guess i would say that even just the conversation we've had amongst ourselves how different we've all experienced uh our, our kind of journey uh, you know how we've experienced kind of like um our addiction and and trying to sort it out in, in completely different ways uh, um and it's just you know that's just us as as, as this little microcosm of like the whole planet and how everyone is going to be you know is different and deals with their stuff differently and as on different journeys another another journey yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um i think for me it's um the importance of being honest to yourself and that critical judgment voice that you have in your own head is kind of, I suppose the compassionate inquiry you know 
inquiring compassionately to your inner child, your inner self, and just being honest with yourself because otherwise it keeps you, I feel like it can keep you um, a step back from growing if you're not honest with yourself as well. So yeah, I think definitely took that from here today. I think my take home message is that shame is such a strong emotion and that actually we're all human and we all experience shame in different ways. Um, and that even if it's not directly related to addiction or so, but like we all know what shame is and that, yeah, I guess what Heather said earlier, like honesty, although it's so hard to do, like can sometimes remove shame for some people. Um, for me, I think today I've realized that shame is such a, like a big obstacle, um, you know, to overcome and get rid of and come out of. I think only then once you can get rid of the shame of yourself and your addiction or whatever, um, you can really look into you know, what happened to you and why and how things turned out. That's slightly annoying because that's actually exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> I was, yeah, really, I mean, I'm going to say it, but like this is kind of such like a basis what Antonio just said. Um, just really struck by that conversation on shame and just like what a huge internal barrier that can be to that can get in the way of just like yeah like before you've even started to look at yourself and kind of like turn the mirror on yourself you've just got to get over this like obstacle of shame and that's huge so yeah basically what Antonio said and also I mean this is not rounding up but I also uh that shame that we carry is stuff that it, you know a lot of it is stuff from our childhood that we have absolutely no control over mm -hmm. it's it's you know like again it's that you know environment that we were born in and brought, brought up in and you know we didn't choose that absolutely a lot of the shame we're carrying is not ours yeah but we don't realize that all right to be continued thanks very much everyone yeah thank you thanks bob Bye. Bye.